is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For part two with Pierre Moray, we continue the conversation on roles that have taught him a significant amount about himself. We also talk about the ensemble documentary, which is coming out March 11th on Broadway On Demand. So I hope you enjoy this part two with Pierre Moray. Is there a particular role that has taught you a significant amount about yourself? Oh my goodness. Yeah, it, you know, um, I had the I had the great fortune of playing um, Paul on the uh, national tour of a chorus line, and um, you know it was such it was it was a, it was many years ago now, and it was at a time where I it was just before I got my green card, and it's it, Paul talks about this experience of of there's this moment in, in, in the monologue, if you, if you know the show where um, uh, his father turns around and, and says, you know, take care, take care of my son. And I remember thinking of, so, of all of Paul, that there was that moment for me of, of a parent, no matter like, no matter their, their, the differences with you or the disagreements with you, that there's this, like, I, I realized I realized how important my father and my parents were to me through playing that role. I realized how fundamental they are to my happiness. You know, they, they, and that role, I, when, when I left the show, I actually left the show quite early to join the, the company of Aladdin. Mm. And um, the, the thing that I was left with is that playing Paul taught me how to be a man, you know, and there was something about what it truly is, you know, I, I come from a, a place and South Africa is lovely and, and liberal, but like, you know, myself and I have a best friend, his name's Hope. He's a dancer and choreographer in, in South Africa. We, we dance as kids, but like you sort of had to da dance hip hop or, or, or dance strong to, for people to accept it in our areas. You know, it was not something that was necessarily just like accepted from, from an, a boy or a man. You know, I didn't know any dancers who were like formally trained in, in in my area and in my in my space and time and so i had this idea of like manhood and masculinity and that you know the binary um even even though i grew up in such a liberal household the binary of of the world was i realized how affected i was by that uh, growing up and 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 playing paul like really connected me connected me both to my parents and then when I did real thinking about who they are to me and how they've influenced me, connected me to my ideas of manhood and, uh, and ideas of masculinity and ideas of love. And it, it, it was this, you know, I think anyone who's played the role uh, understands what it feels like at night when the whole stage is black and there's a spotlight. It almost feels like you're, it almost feels like you're just this talking head mm. and you're, you're, you're talking about Nick Dante's experience. You're sort of a vessel for, for that. And, and realizing like what a what what a fight like it, it has it, it has been for men in the world of the of the binary i listen a lot to, to esther perel who's a, a relationship psychologist and she's this belgian lady and she talks a lot about in the western world especially how men are broken because of the way we teach our boys how to grow up and there's a lot of indicators as to why as to the truth of that, you know, a lot of violence, uh, uh, gun violence, uh, it's all, it's all being carried out by, by boys and by young men. And when something goes wrong in, in, in the, in the raising of a man and of, of a boy that, that there's, 
it has really like dire consequences and can be very extreme. But I think on a lesser level, when I unpacked my own ideas of masculinity and, and, the, and the binary and what is, what is and isn't, um, you know, allowed or to be, to be human and, and to love that when it, what that, it just, I really think playing Paul, it, it taught me all of those things. You know, I, it's, it's so difficult to be, to, to, to wrap it into one word, but that, that role, what that did for me um, was very important. And, and on the, on the back end as well, is that, you know, I'm, I'm a South African. I, I currently identify as a, a straight, um, you know, I, it, I, my, my culture is, is, is mixed in South Africa, but I think I present very white to a lot of people in, in, the, in America. Um, it, was also, it was also a tricky on the back end exploration of like, is, is that okay? You know, it, it, what, what, who am I as an actor? I'm never representing my own culture. I never speak in this accent when I perform. I never, I'm never playing a South African mixed Belgian, you know, I'm never doing that. And so, it was an, it was another big exploration on on uh, and lesson on what is the difference between presentation and representation in theater you know Byrick Lee and I had when she cost me in the part I, I called her and we had a big conversation about it and I was like I want to make sure I know what my in is but I want to make sure what what your in is for in this moment in time but it, that being said um, as time has gone on you know I, I got offered to 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 go in for the show when it came to back to New York went to city center and I felt I felt differently about it than when I felt three years prior when I, well, you know, when I was a kid trying to stay in America and then play a role and play this beautiful part that that many, you know, that many different representations of 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 people had played in the past. It, it, it was like that role was so defining in, in, in so many ways, and I learned so much from it. Um, and and I don't think I'll ever play it again. Hmm. And I think and I think that both are okay. Yeah. you know, in what my journey has been, you know, it, that it's okay to change and that it's okay to, to morph your ideas as new information comes and as you digest a new time. And, and, you know, that's, I mean, I could, I could, we could, so we could sit through this whole podcast talking about that show and, and that role for me. Um, but yeah, it, it really was Paul in a course. And I think if anyone has played the role or has done the show, you you think you're like oh it's a chorus line like it, you can almost roll your eyes like everyone who does a chorus line their lives change but like you know i'm sort of one of those people so <laughs> yeah, yeah it's that show is it's more than more than meets the eye <laughs> it's a 100%. powerful everyone's journey in that show especially the role you played it's and that moment and what it means mm-hmm. to have the love of parents it's just so it, it touching just to think about and um, mm-hmm. so thank you for thank you for diving deep on that is there yeah, yeah. Um, a way you view your achievements versus your fulfillment? Oh, yeah. Hi, these are back uh, to mean, back. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I, you know, again, I, I think there's something about being an immigrant that there's this like goals based outlook on life and, and, and being here because you, you come here and you're like, well, I need, the artist visa, the O1. And then, so you work to get a certain kind of work together to qualify for that. And then I need the green card. And then you do that, all that work. And then, so, you know, there's achievement in those goals. And then because you achieve those goals, you, I, I inherently became fulfilled and because I felt like, well, I felt validated in that way. 
Sure. But I think that the like sort of the thinker in me knows to try to disconnect those two things. But I think the reality of that is, is so difficult for literally anyone at any point, but has been difficult for me to, I, I want to say to you that in every way, um, the way I view uh, achievement is different than the way I view fulfillment. But I, I, I can't honestly say that the two things have not been inherently connected for so much of, of my life. And I think as a, again, in Prince, in, in, in theory, I want that to be my reality. But I think in a lot of times, my reality has been that achievement equals fulfillment. And so when I haven't been achieving, I haven't felt as fulfilled. Like this is no doubt that that is what happens um, for me. And I, I, I want to, yeah, I, yeah, I, that, that is what, that is how it's been. And it's sort of an active, it's an active work and a, and a process to to unlearn that feeling sure um, to unlearn that feeling sometimes as an athlete you know in any way you know I, I I trained in the circus a bit as a kid and 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 I played sports and you know and then when you dance there's just there's such an outcomes based fulfillment oh when you do when you do the triple turn in ballet your your ballet teacher is happy oh when you you know you're getting these little um sort of like what happens with social media, these little dopamine hits of, of fulfillment when you achieve. Yeah. And how, and how often do you get that same hit when you're just fulfilled, but it's not connected to anything you've done, right. you know? Um, yeah. 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 I want, I, I do wonder like if it's like, if it's a pipe dream or if it's, it was like, like a thing for monks, do you know what I mean? To be like, I am fulfilled and I did not achieve the thing today, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's the reality of that. Like, is it possible? I mean, it probably is, but it, it takes some real conscious work, I think. It does. And it's such a moving line. Nothing's yeah. set. Everything's always moving. It's, you know, yeah. the second you, you, I, you know, try to achieve, I'm not fulfilled and I end up not achieving. And the second I am fulfilled, I do achieve. And it's, yeah. you know, and the second you hop back over to the achievement, the fulfillment, it's like, but sometimes they're, you know, right. When you're in line with your life and everything, the two are one in the same. So it's that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Is there a common piece of incorrect advice that you hear frequently? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Um, <laughs> and, you know, this is not. This is not the necessarily the most popular opinion in the world, but this is definitely for me something that I have found. I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. That is sort of my um, own, uh, through my experience in life and through the world. I think that that advice, uh, and I've heard it as a performer, I've heard it as an artist, I've heard it as a human being, um, that, oh, well, you know, you lost this job for a reason or this bad thing happened for a reason. And I think, you know, I want to I want to disclaim this, and I would say that this is a deeply existential idea. That I think it's not to say that this is absolutely the way, but this is the way that helps me feel centered in my own reality, with my two feet on the ground. Is that I've experienced two and seen. I come from a country. I come from a continent where you see things and you experience things and you you observe other people's experiences. That there's no, from my own opinion, there's no way I could reason. Um, the sort of larger picture of that um, bad thing happening to that person, of that circumstance, of, of where they live, how they live, what happened to them. 
And when you experience enough of that and are, are, I think are exposed to enough of that, I think when things do end up working out for you on the back end, when things, you know, seem like they were pre-planned, I think that that feeling is like, it's so wonderful, but I think it's such a dangerous thing to base your life and happiness upon mm. and your continued movement in the world. That if something bad happens, you, you reason it to, to, to um, uh, uh, something that is larger than you that is controlling that. And in the same breath, though, I love the saying, like, every cloud can have a silver lining. I, I think that I, I can align more with that. You can make bad of good situations. Once again, I still think there are elements of clouds that are just clouds. And I think that it's important to acknowledge clouds when they are them. Um, but that, but in, I'm not saying I want to be this negative person that says like things just chaos just happens and then, and we need to deal with it. But at the same time, I think that, um, I, 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 I think that we're, we're not in control, but I think to give all control over to the goodness of the universe conspiring for us can sometimes lead us to being very devastated. And I think this happens to a lot of people as they hit their thirties and forties. If the universe said, well, it's coming, well, it's coming. And the universe hasn't quite moved in their direction. It can be deeply upsetting because you have based your thoughts and your actions on the idea that it's coming around for you. And I think it can, and you can make it so, but at the same time, um, if you, believe that all things are working in that way. I think that it can, I, I really think that it can affect uh, your two feet on the ground and it can affect, it can affect your reality in a way that I think can be detrimental. Again, I really know that this thing is not, I think I know I have some best friends in my life who, who had, that's a big cornerstone for them. Like these things happen for a reason. There's, mm. And, and I think that there's no way I can speak on this with absolute truth. There's just more than my own experience and my own, my own innate feeling. I think that you have to be careful when you attribute all the good and bad things in your world to powers outside of you. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. And I, I, I thank you for having such a deep conversation here. <laughs> showing your, you know, your spirit and your being, oh I think it's so much more educational uh, or, fr or most often more educational than rattling off a resume. Uh, sure. I would be completely remiss if I did not bring up uh, the ensemble documentary that you directed yes. that's coming yes. out very soon. I've yes. seen some early clips of it and I'm very excited for the world to see it. Um, mm -hmm. Essentially, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want to compare it to identical, but a lot of these conversations take place, these deeper level conversations on what it means to be, um, you know, in this industry. And I'm curious mm -hmm. if you're willing to speak on your views, thoughts, points uh, regarding directing um, mm -hmm. the wonderful room of performers that are in this documentary. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, what I felt very, I feel very happy to have done is we, we've spoken about this piece as sort of a time capsule doc. Mm -hmm. You know, it's this little moment in time. It, it, it's, it, the, the, scale, the scale of it, the scope of it doesn't extend years and the entirety of the pandemic thus far. It's this moment in time that I'm really proud to have been um, in the driver's seat of, especially on the back end, because I'm telling a story about ensemblists who are my people, mm -hmm. right? I am currently in the ensemble of Aladdin on Broadway, mm -hmm. cover roles. I, I go through this experience and I've, I've been in ensembles of shows and I, 
our what my main goal was with this project was to really really try not get in the way of the conversation itself i really wanted the conversation to ring as authentically as it could have um and it's that took some that took some work i I think because you have such a, when you film anything, you obviously want to dramatize and, and, and lift the stakes and, and create something that's engaging for everyone. Sure. But mostly I wanted to create, we, what we wanted to create was a safe environment for 13 people to have a, as honest conversation as they were prepared to have about who they are. And, you know, the last time a conversation like this was sort of formally recorded was like over 50 years ago, you know, it, we, our ideas of who, ensemble members are have changed and the doc nearly it almost the the opening of the conversation opens with that with that idea uh, james t lane talks about it he's like the business has changed the culture has changed we have changed it's not just the kids anymore you know um that are just like going out and partying and like the idea of like what an ensemble member is and what we do is so it's so different and so cultivating this it's what really was at the end of the day, a seven hour conversation. I mean, we, we sat in open jar studios for seven hours. There is a seven hour podcast version of this. And we even contemplated going back and forth about releasing it in like our episodes, just yeah. the raw, the full raw conversation. And I think, I think that that um, probably won't happen <laughs> because not to say, not to say that like, there's, there really is nothing in there that, you know, everyone knew, you know, we, we were being filmed and like there was a four camera shoot and yeah, and everyone had microphones on. It was not like anyone said anything that they regret, but it, right, it is right. the, the entirety of a night like that, I think is it's <laughs> the seven hour is for like niche fans of the subject matter. You know, I think what we end up with in the doc is this beautiful um, snapshot of what, of things that have been important to ensemblists. And it was important to me in post though, and must be said, uh, I, I didn't want too much control over the narrative and post. The framework right. is not is largely mine. Um, the I, I underscore personally. I'm a, I'm a musician. I'm a guitarist and a pianist. A lot of the you'll see if uh, when people see the documentary that there are certain sections where we go at home and we it was right in the heat of the pandemic and we ask people to record questions um, in their home and I. I underscored that music myself. So the, hmm. the, the own, even just the emotional tonality of it is really defined by me. Um, but I, I kept checking in with my producers, with Aaron, with Telly, with Joey, uh, with Mo, um, to ensure that I wasn't the only voice and the only identity deciding what of the seven hour conversation is the most important thing to then showcase. You know, because again, we have, we say it. We say it in the in the doc. It's like thirteen people doesn't necessarily represent the opinions of the entire union of our industry. But it, but we did our best to to collectively represent the opinions of the room and then the opinions of of us in post as well. You know, you have to be careful. You have to be careful in curation in this way because you are deciding. You are deciding what is most important. And there was a lot of important things discussed in that, in that conversation. It was so much. Oh yeah. And and I'm you know um, I, I've I've watched it all. I've, sp I've spent hundreds of hours on this project to make sure that what is out there is is something that I believe in. Mm -hmm. And and it re and it really is. And and also uh, unattainted by by 
my own opinion as much as possible. It's like, I wanted to lay this, the framework for these human beings to sort of color lines in. Like, you know, Corey's coloring is this in this way. And, and then Iris's is this in this way. And, and Gabby, you know, it, it's, it, that was, that was the trick of, of making this is I've made a lot of narrative sort of fiction and you want to cultivate the story and you're so, you're so invested in story and documentary you need to accept what it is you got and then tell that in the most transparent way. It'll relay it back to an audience. So it was an interesting and I think ultimately very democratic um, uh, process at the end of the day. The, and yeah. the version that's going out to the, to the public um, on March 11th is also been seen by all the ensemblists before it went out all been vetted by them say I'm, I'm happy with these opinions one year later you know I'm happy with what I said I'm happy with how you represented this you know it was important to us to to do this project right and important to me to do this project right as a director um because it direct because it's direction in such a different way than, than narrative projects yeah I can't wait to see it again and I can't wait for the mm. world to see it so I'm very excited mm -hmm. I'm very excited about that is there a word or a phrase metaphorically speaking, that you would put on a billboard for millions of people to see? Hmm. Does anything come to mind? You know, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> I, I, I mean, because we were talking about it, I was, <laughs> I was going to say everything doesn't happen for a reason. Like that would be sure, like, sure, sure. That would be like a solid, but that is, that's wild. I, I think, um, you know, we're, we're, we're in a time right now where, uh, uh, of course, there's sort of like a, a war happening in the Middle East and there's been there's been uh, war in 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 Palestine and in Israel, you know, for so long. And, and there's even just it's just all over all over the world. And um, I think we're so I think people are so still even 2022 with all the exposure we have where the world is more globalized than it ever has been. Right. Like I'm an example, I'm an example of that. I'm a, I'm a South African Belgian immigrant living in the United States with who speaks a few languages and, and, and has been here for 10 years, been in Europe. And, and we've like, I'm like part of a first generation of, of human beings that have ever existed with this eclectic blend of culture and, and, and influence. And there's many of us out there now mm. and many more that's ever been. However, I still think the world is so scared of the other. We're yeah. still so inherent, inherently scared of, of uh, that that we don't understand. And um, I, you know, I think that if, I think that if the connection to like, understanding that there are different viewpoints in the world and accepting that is more built into humanity. If thousands of people could see something, it would probably be, don't be scared of the other. You know, I, I think that, yeah, I think that there's something um, that if, if, we, if we're not afraid of the, of the thing that's different and that's the thing that's unlike us, then there's more, I think, more harmony in the ability to exist alongside it. You know, um, again, this sort of ties back, I think, a lot to my experience as a human being, experiences as uh, an artist is like, you know, the circus is full of people who are uh, who are others. South Africa is full of 
cultures that are others. It's a big eclectic blend. And I, and I think that when you are exposed to the thing that is in direct opposition to how you feel, right. like I say, some of my best friends in the world feel that everything happens for a reason. When are you, and that's like a less dramatic or extreme example, but when you're exposed to those things and, and there's allowance for it, you realize there's no reason to like fight or argue or to in in these ways you know there's reasons for conversation and discussion and learning but i think that the world um in america and just literally the world i think it's not at all fair to say america because it's happening everywhere but the your team my team red versus blue um you know ukraine russia whatever it is that's happening i think it's because it's like it's what is the other who believe something different that shouldn't affect you. And I think that if you're allow yourself not to be scared of it, you can allow yourself to accept it. And so I, and I think that that's, that's like huge. It, it's huge. It, it's, it's everything. I think there's so much fear that's rooted in, in hatred and rooted in, the, in the bad things that go on that I, I wish more people were exposed to the other and then realized that it's okay to, to not change it and just allow it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's again, really well said. And you're absolutely right. Don't be scared of the other. Yeah. Mm. You know, and it's that, it's that, it's, it's that independent education that we hope each person will empower themselves themselves to have. So you can yeah. make these, I mean, cause you can see it now, just the humanity coming together as a result of this, I do believe in some ways separating terribly, but also what I'm seeing, you know, other factions take, take care of it's, it's power. It's powerful. And, and how, how unnecessary fear is. I mean, it is necessary. It is, it's necessary to a degree to keep yourself safe, but to a much larger degree, just simply being afraid of what you don't know is, is unnecessary. Yeah. Pierre, this conversation, thank you for taking this time today. I really appreciate Mate. you joining me on the show. I cannot wait yeah. for everyone to see the ensemble documentary and to hear your views on life. May I appreciate that so much. It's such a great, thank you for such like thought provoking questions. I'm st- I was sitting here going through a whole existential evaluation, <laughs> I love that. but it's, I really appreciate it. It was, it was lovely speaking to you. People of the world, Pierre Murray. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. 